Well, good morning, Garden Church family. Good morning, Facebook family. I'm so happy to be here this morning. So happy to come to you on this beautiful Mother's Day Sunday. And I just want to take a moment before we even get started, before we delve into prayer or anything, I just want to take a moment to just say thank you to all the mothers. We love you and we are so grateful for each and every one of you that have the ability and the privilege to call yourself mothers out there. And we're so thankful for all those who may not physically be mothers but have played the mother role in someone's life. We are so thankful. Mothers are such a wonderful gift of God, you know, literally able to shape the future of the world every single day by raising up the next generation, by raising up those that come after us. Uh, and it is just a mind-boggling privilege that God has bestowed. And it is just such an honor to be able to stand in a position like this and say thank you to all the mothers out there. We love you. And I kind of wish that, you know, everybody was here with me and we could, you know, get some flowers and distribute them or, you know, some coffee mugs or journals or pens or something fancy, you know, just to show an extra... Uh, umph of gratitude um, but unfortunately we're still in this uh, COVID-19 pandemic um, we're coming out of it but we're still sitting in it as of right now so all that I can do is just repeatedly express my love and my gratitude for the mothers out there thank you thank you and may God continue to bless you and may God continue to use you to mold the hearts and minds of the young men and women that you're raising up. Thank you again. So, in typical Aaron fashion, I am not going to be preaching anything remotely related to Mother's Day. Um, I really thought about it and really kind of meditated on it. I'm preaching, you know, the love of a mother and, you know, how amazing of a treasure that that is, you know, where God even compares himself and his love towards the uh, love of a mother when he's you know Jesus is standing looking at Jerusalem he says oh Jerusalem Jerusalem how often I have desired to bring you under you know my brood like a, a mother hen you know after her chicks but you would not so the love of a mother has to be something special if God is willing to use that to describe his own love and I thought about preaching on that but it just it just didn't sit right. I didn't feel that, that was the direction that I was supposed to go this morning. And I began to kind of ask myself, you know, well, what direction am I supposed to go this morning? You know, what am I supposed to preach about? And I got all the way up until last night and I still really had no idea what to preach about. But then, you know, a certain story or rather collection of stories started to kind of circulate in my mind. and. I really, I put down the scriptures, I'm going to kind of take a couple excerpts from the life of Peter in relationship to, you know, his time following Jesus, and I really just want to see, you know, kind of where that takes us, so I put the scriptures, and there's a little bit of reading in there, you may have, you know, may have seen that, and we'll just see where God takes us, so before we get started, as always, I want to, you know, begin, endure, and end everything with prayer. So if you would, just go to the Lord in prayer with me and let's just, let's just seek God's face. Let's seek God's face so that he will 
reveal his will, reveal his word through me, that he would use me as a vessel to speak to you, and that maybe, just maybe, this Mother's Day message can be for more than just mothers. It can be for more than just those looking to celebrate. But maybe this Mother's Day can be a life-altering experience or a day that is marked in your life forever as a milestone in your relationship with Christ. Maybe it's the day that you'll finally come to the Lord and acknowledge Him as your Savior. Maybe it's a day where you will come back to God after wandering and straying from Him. Or maybe it's a day where you take a milestone and a step of faith and you finally evangelize or share the gospel with that loved one that you've been holding back on or that co-worker or that friend. Or maybe it's just a day where you'll have a fresh revelation of the majesty of God and of the love of God. Or maybe it's just a day that we can just come and we can celebrate God together and we can give thanks regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the things that we were dealing with at this current moment and we can just celebrate the love of God knowing that all of these things are passing and fleeting and that they're not even worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that sets before us. So maybe just maybe today, this Mother's Day can be a day that goes beyond just the confines of a holiday and it can be a day that is marked in eternity for us. So that's what I'm going to pray and I just ask that you would come together with me in prayer and let's just see what God has for us this morning, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for this morning. I don't know if anyone else can feel it. Maybe it's just me. I just feel that there's some kind of awkwardness, God. And maybe it's just because I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what direction you want me to go or what direction you're leading. But Lord, I just pray that regardless of those awkward feelings, regardless of, you know, where I'm sitting at emotionally or mentally or where anyone else might be sitting emotionally or mentally or spiritually, Lord, that you use this message and you use this time for your good and for your glory and to accomplish your purpose in the lives of those who may listen or hear this message. Lord Jesus, I just pray that this be something that honors you. I pray that this message goes forth in spirit and in truth, but it also goes forth in power, and that that power breaks bondages off of people, that that power brings healing to people, that that power brings the, and sheds the love of God to people. And I just pray, Lord, that regardless of what direction we go, regardless of what may or may not be accomplished or spoken here. Lord, I pray that you would use this in a divine way to initiate something in someone's life. That this day would be a catalyst in someone's life. That this day would be the beginning of something. And Lord, I pray that if anyone hears this message and that they don't know you as their Lord and Savior and that they have not surrendered their life to you, Lord, I pray that today is the day that that happens and that you use this message, however weak or fleeting or frail it might be, to accomplish that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are going to be in Luke chapter 22. Um, we've got a little bit of reading. Uh, but I'm just going to kind of read and work through it. And, you know, if the direction changes, I apologize. Like I said, I really don't know um, what direction that we're going to go. But we're going to start out with Luke chapter 22. And we're going to start out with verse 31. Extremely interesting little passage here. But we're going to read, starting in verse 31. Simon, Simon. He's talking to Peter here. Peter's name was Simon before Christ changed it. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan has demanded permission 
to sift you like wheat. All right, stop right off the bat. Peter, Simon, Simon, Peter, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. So I don't know if you guys, how familiar you are with the story of Job, but this situation always reminds me of that because in the story of Job, there's a council, some kind of divine council coming and the sons of God come before the throne of God and Satan's there and God asks him, says, where have you come from? And Satan says, I've come from wandering to and fro throughout the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Um, he's righteous. And Satan says, yeah, of course he's righteous. You have a hedge around him and I can't touch him. And so through that conversation, God ends up removing the hedge and allowing Satan to do a few things and then removing the hedge a little bit more and Satan can do a few things. But Satan is always restricted in what he can and cannot do according to the will of God. And for some, this is frustrating and they try to kind of manipulate the passage and pull some phrases out to say, well, God's really not doing that. Job's allowing it to be done to him because they're really kind of trying to take away from the sovereignty of God. And they don't like the fact that God allowed these things to happen to Job. And they don't like the fact that God allowed these things to happen to Peter. And they don't like the fact that that means if... 2 plus 2 equals 4 here, and 2 plus 2 equals 4 there, then it stands to reason that 2 plus 2 equals 4 in my life. And so they don't like the fact that when bad things happen, that God may not have caused it, but he definitely allowed it. And so what Jesus says here is he says, Peter, or Simon, Simon, Satan has come before God just like he did with Job and he is demanded or asked permission to sift you like wheat. He's asked permission to come against you, to come at you. And so when you experience those temptations while the temptation is not from God and you experience those trials while the trial is not from God, you have to acknowledge the reality that the tempter was given permission to tempt you. And that's, that's such a radical, different look at theology and the Bible. For me, it's refreshing. For some, it's fr frustrating. But for me, there is no greater refreshing thing than to know that everything that I face in this life has come across God's desk. And it had to go through and filter through His hands before it ever came to me. So no matter how bad I think it may be, no matter how much I struggle with it, I know that God allowed it to come. And that might be frustrating because you're like, well, God, why are these things happening to me? Why am I in this circumstance? Why do I face these things? And that may be frustrating, but the truth is, is that we don't have any idea about the amount of things that God stopped from getting to us. And so I, for one, am thankful. I mean, granted, I have a blessed life. And I don't deal with some of the things that a lot of people deal with. I actually had a conversation about that this morning. I don't deal with a lot of things. Some people deal with things that I couldn't even begin to fathom how much pain they cause. But for me, personally, and this may not be for anyone, it may just be for me, and that's okay. For me, I find comfort and solace in the fact that everything that comes against me is filtered through the Father's hands, and that whatever I face, however much I hate it, it's filtered through His sovereign hands first. Let's keep reading. But, this is one of the best words in the entire Bible, but... I have prayed for you, Peter, 
Jesus, I have prayed for you, Peter. Just think about this in your own context. I'll just use me. Aaron, Aaron, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I, Jesus, have prayed for you, Aaron. Man. That your faith may not fail. But here's the crazy thing. I know that this is kind of a little bit choppy. But here's the crazy thing. Satan has come and he's demanding to sift Peter. He's asking permission to tempt Peter, to test Peter, to put Peter through the ringer, to attack Peter. He's asking permission. And it doesn't say, and God gave him permission. But you kind of get that gist that he's going to come because he's been given that permission to come against Peter. And Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. And then he gets specific about what he's prayed. And it's really, really interesting because he says, I've prayed that your faith may not fail. And then he says, and you, once you have turned again, strengthen the brethren. So he's saying, I'm praying for you. I'm not praying that you're not going to enter this temptation. I'm not praying that you're not going to be attacked. That's not. I'm praying that your faith won't fail when you are attacked. And I'm praying that when you are attacked, that you maintain your faith and you are going to fall. Because he's acknowledging he's going to fall because he says when you've turned again, when you've come back, when you are converted in the King James, when you're converted, when you come back, when you pick yourself back up off the ground, that then you'll strengthen your brethren. So Jesus is not saying I've prayed for you that Satan wouldn't get that permission. He's not saying that I've prayed that Satan wouldn't be able to tempt you or attack you or come against you. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying I've prayed that in the midst of that testing, in the midst of that attack, in the midst of that struggle, that your faith is going to stand strong and that even though you fall, you won't fail. And that's why I named this message, Fall Not Fail. That it's okay to fall. And we don't like that. We don't like the fact, we don't like to think about falling. You know, because it has such a negative connotation. You know, everyone has fallen short. Everyone's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's true. But the truth of the matter is, is that the grace of God is so infinite and so much more that when you fall, because you will fall, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of your relationship with God. It's not suddenly that you fall and God gives up on you and stops seeking you and stops desiring you and stops pouring His grace and His love and His mercy and His goodness out on you. That's not what it is at all. It's that you fall. But when you fall, that your faith don't fail. So it's okay if you fall. I don't advise you to go out and attempt to trip yourself to fall. It's okay if you fall. Just fall, not fail. Fall but let your faith maintain its strength. Fall short. Trip up. Bust your face on the ground. That's part of growth. It's part of learning your boundaries. It's part of pressing in. You're going to get off into some things that you don't need to get off into theologically, and you're going to get, in, get some things wrong, and you're going to mess up in your attempts to evangelize, and you're going to, you're going to fall short. You're going to try to do righteous and you're going to try to be the best mother that you can be and you're going to sometimes mess up with your kids and sometimes you're going to let your anger get the best of you and sometimes you're going to get a little bit annoyed and you're going to let that take over and you're going to mess up as a, as a father and you're going to mess up as a wife and you're going to mess up as a husband and you're going to mess up as a Christian and you're going to mess up as a friend and you're going to mess up as a relative, as a son or a daughter. You're going to fall. You're going to mess up. It's better if we just get that off the table and we stop having this mindset that we're never going to mess up as Christians. Christians know you are going to fall. It's going to happen. But don't let your fall cause you to fail. 
Don't let your fall cause your faith to fail. Just because you hit the ground at 100 miles an hour does not mean that you need to stay down. When you're turned again, when you're converted, then use that experience, use that fall to strengthen the brethren. Use that fall to come alongside others and say, I've been there. I've fallen on my face. I've messed up. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned. I've fallen back into drinking, but then I came back out. I've fallen off into these things, but then I came back. I missed it with my kids. But I've come back. I've missed it but I've come back. So just because you miss it doesn't mean you can't come back. Use your experience, use your fall to encourage others and strengthen others so that maybe they won't fall in that same hole that you fell in. Maybe they won't trip over that same stumbling block that you tripped over. Maybe they won't mess up in that same area that you messed up. Use your fall to strengthen others. So fall, by all means fall. Because you're going to. Failure is a sign of effort. So I'm not encouraging everybody. I know that it might sound that way. I'm not encouraging everybody to go out and just mess up and sin. It's not, it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is try. Press on. Press in. Press upward. Try. And by trying, understand that you're going to fall. But just because you fall, don't let that fall become a fail. Run. Give it everything that you've got. And when you get tripped up and you fall flat on your face, get up, dust yourself off, and use that experience to strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Use that experience. And no matter how long that fall may last, that's kind of where we're going to go next. So let's, let's jump over. I'm sorry. It goes on right there. And Peter tries to argue with this, uh, this failing here, or this falling, I'm sorry. He tries to argue and say, Lord, I'm going to go with you even to the death. And then that's when Jesus predicts Peter's denials. And he says, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no. Not whole discussion there. Jump down to verse 54. Same chapter, verse 54. So this... Right after that, you have a little bit more dialogue, and then you have Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then you have the soldiers coming out to arrest him, and you have Malchus, and Peter cuts off Malchus's ear with his sword, and then Jesus tells him to stop. And those who live by the sword shall die by the sword, and then he heals Malchus's ear, and then they take him, and that's where we get. And it says, Having arrested him, in verse 54, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. So up to this point, Peter has done what he said he was going to do. He fought, and he was willing to go with Jesus either to death. They arrested him, and Peter followed him. You know, maybe planning some rescue attempt, I don't know. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And this is where the script changes. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, this man was with him too. This man was with Jesus. But he denied it. So the one that said that he was going to go with him to the end, he was going to go with Christ all the way, he started denying to a servant girl. And he said, woman, I do not know him. So now he's not just denying that he was with him, now he's denying that he even knows him. 
A little later, another saw him and said, You are the one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. So he denied that he was with him. He denied that he knew him. That he knew him. He denied that he knew him. And now he's denying that he's even one of the disciples. And after about an hour passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately, when he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. So it's just a fulfillment of what Christ said. Satan's come, he's going to sift you like wheat. He's going to bring that attack against you. He's going to come against you with everything that he has. And I have prayed for you. I haven't prayed that you're not going to be attacked. I haven't prayed that you're not going to be tested. I haven't prayed that you're not going to be tempted. But I prayed that when you fall, your faith won't fail. And that when you return, that you'll be able to use that to strengthen your brethren. That's what Christ prayed for Peter. And then he prophesied and told Peter how the denial was going to come. How the fall was going to take place. And Peter denied that and said, no, I'm going to go with you all the way to the end. And then right here... It unfolds exactly the way that Jesus said. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Then the rooster crows. And Peter has realized he's denied him three times. And this next verse, I think, is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. And I know I say that a lot. It's because all of Scripture is powerful. But this next verse, it says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter realized that he was looking at him, so they obviously made eye contact because that eye contact caused him to remember what Christ had said in the garden when he told Peter that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And Peter is overwhelmed, and I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. You know how it is when you kind of, that expression, you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. You get caught red-handed. You get caught, you know, there's all kinds of expressions. I won't get into those because some of those are inappropriate. But there's all kinds of expressions to show you getting caught in the middle of an act. And Peter, right here, after just the day before, just earlier that day, because it's kind of debatable about whether or not this is first thing in the morning or, you know, just before midnight. It's late at night. Peter, just earlier that same day, had denied that he would fall. Jesus told him that Satan's going to sift him. Told him how he prayed for him. And then Peter denies and says, I'm going to go with you all the way to the end. I'll die for you if that's what it means. I'm with you till the end. And then the prophecy of Christ comes true. Peter falls and Jesus catches him. And they make eye contact as soon as the fall as soon as Peter hits the bottom, as soon as the fall is complete, and Peter's flat on his face, he catches the Lord's gaze. I cannot even begin to imagine the pain and the sorrow that's flooding through Peter's mind and through his heart. I can't even begin to imagine what, how intense that gaze was. I can't imagine how long that gaze and that uh, interlocking eye contact lasted. What I can tell you is that the result broke Peter. It says, and he went out and wept bitterly. That Peter left, probably ran out, weeping bitterly, travailing, crying, snot flying everywhere because he had just fallen. And in his mind, he failed. I mean, he denied Jesus. 
Can you imagine how it would be to be in that situation to actually deny Jesus in Jesus' presence? And then to realize, because Peter may not have even realized that Jesus was able to hear him or see him when he denied him the last time. But the truth is, we've all done it. Maybe not directly with our words, but we've all denied Christ with our actions. We've all fallen. And sometimes we fall and we feel like we've just fallen way too far. And you know, the things that unfold after this, when at the resurrection, you know, Peter, he fell. And he fell pretty heavily, but he didn't give up. I mean, there's a little bit of contention there. And he may not have felt like he was worthy to even be called a disciple anymore because when Jesus is resurrected, he says, go get the disciples. I'm sorry, the angel says, go get the disciples and Peter. But when they do, Peter's one of the two that runs to the tomb. At first they don't believe him, but then they, you know, when they realize that, you know, maybe there's some truth to it. They, him and John, they run to the tomb and Peter runs in first and, you know, they're, you know, so... You know, is this real? Is this is this actually happening? Did Jesus actually raise from the dead? And then you get over here, you know, after that had happened and Christ had appeared to, you know, the disciples in groups several different times. You can pick up John chapter 21, verse 1. And I just want to kind of just continue this narrative and show you kind of the direction that I'm going. So Peter right now has fallen pretty heavily. And he's kind of picked himself back up because he ran to the tomb. I mean, he wasn't there that first thing that morning in faith, believing that Christ would be resurrected. But when he found out from the women that Christ had been resurrected, then he was one of the ones that ran to the tomb. And then when they were in the room gathered together, and, you know, Christ came and Thomas doubted. It didn't say that Peter doubted. It said that Thomas doubted. And so he's kind of halfway redeemed himself, maybe, there's not really a lot there that we know about. Well, we know that Christ had appeared to him several different times over the course of 40 days before the ascension. And somewhere in that time frame, Peter, in John chapter 21, it says, After these things Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. It's important. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and when they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land. About 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, and they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread, 
Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then he gets in, you get into the love conversation. Now I won't, I won't press into that. Says Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And you may be asking yourself, why is that? You know, why is that so prevalent? Well, look at this narrative. Look how this happens. This is the third manifestation of Jesus after the resurrection to the disciples. And so you're looking at this. And Jesus chooses to let them, they go fishing, they fish all night, and they don't catch anything. And then he tells them to cast the net on the right side and haul in the fish, and they're going to have a great catch. And they do, and they count them, and it's 153. So automatically, that shows you that they, it's not guesstimating. It doesn't say about 150 fish. It says 153. They counted it specifically. And then Jesus, after they eat, he takes breakfast, uh, Peter aside, and he tells him or asks him, Do you love me more than these? And if you think back, it's in Luke chapter 5. I wrote it down. We'll go over there in just a second. Actually, let's just go ahead and go over there. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. I want to just tie this together and I want to show you something. Now it happened, Luke chapter 5 verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the water, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the calling of Peter. This is the initiation of Peter's relationship with Jesus, so to speak. This is the moment where Peter leaves everything and begins to be, follow Jesus and be his disciple. So you know what it was like when you first came to Christ. And maybe you haven't come to Christ. But when you first come to Christ, there's a zeal. There's a passion. There's a fire. There's a fuel in you. 
And over time, your mess ups and your failures and your failures and your rose-colored glasses come off, and you realize that Christianity is extremely difficult, and that people who say that they're Christians don't always act like Christians and that the church has levels of it and that there's certain things in the church that go on that really aren't biblical and really aren't okay and you get hurt and you struggle and you fall a few times and you kind of get burnt out or you kind of get tired or you get numb and so your zeal or your fire sometimes gets lost. Peter had a lot of that happen. Through the whole following of Christ, all through the Gospels, you see Peter is the one that speaks up. He's the impetuous one. He's the impulsive one. He speaks. He puts his foot in his mouth. He says some things that he shouldn't say sometimes, and sometimes he's the only one that steps up and says the truth and what needs to be said. He's aggressive and assertive, and he puts his, put his it all out there, hit or miss, he is who he is. And yet, He's the one who's caught denying Jesus. He's the one that Satan asked permission to sift like wheat. And remember, just to kind of put this all in perspective, I want to paint this picture for you. So you have Peter, and he catches fire, and he realizes who Jesus is because of the miracle with the fish. He realizes who Jesus is, and he bows himself down, and he says, Lord, get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. But Jesus, calling him and tells him that he's going to make him a fisher of men, Peter and James and John and Andrew, they all leave everything, and they follow Jesus. And then the ministry goes through. Peter says right there in the garden when Jesus tells him that Satan's asked to sift him like wheat, that Jesus has prayed for him, not that he won't be attacked, but that when he is attacked and that when he does fall, his faith won't fail, and that when he is returned or restored, he'd be able to strengthen the brethren. And Peter says, no, I will follow you all the way to the death. And I believe when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and he pulls the sword out and he cuts Malchus's ear off that he was intending to fight to the death to save Jesus because it was put on him all of a sudden he was willing to act and Jesus healed Malchus and went with the soldiers willingly and Peter followed a little ways behind maybe he was just curious what was going on maybe he was planning to try and rescue Jesus from prison or from death or whatever they had planned that Peter may or may not have known about. But then he gets into the area where Jesus is being kept and where the religious trial is going on and he sits down next to a fire and he gets called out by a little servant girl and then by two others afterwards and denies Jesus three times, fulfilling what Jesus had said was going to happen. And he fell, and he fell hard, and Jesus saw him fall, and Peter realized exactly what had happened, and he left bitter, bitterly. He left weeping bitterly, repentance all over him, because he was broken. He was remorseful. He knew what he had done. And then Jesus is resurrected. Peter goes and he doesn't have any contact with him there. He just sees the empty tomb and the, you know, the head towel folded and put in its place. And he sees where Jesus had lain. And then he goes back and Jesus appears to him once. And then Thomas is there and he appears to him the second time. And you know that whole fiasco and thing that occurred with Thomas. And then Peter says, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. And he goes out and he toils and he labors all night again. Remember that happened in Luke 5. And he's fishing 
And then Jesus yells to him from the land and says, cast it on the right side. Just like in Luke 5 when Peter was originally called. And they catch the fish. They realize it's the Lord. And Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to his master. And then Jesus takes Peter after they eat breakfast. And I have to believe that when he took Peter aside, he pointed to the fish that they had just caught. And he said, do you love me more than these? Because in Luke chapter 5, it says that Peter, when he saw that, when he saw the miracle of Jesus, when he saw the catch and he saw what Christ could produce, he was blown away. And that was what initiated him to drop down on his knees and say, Lord, Get away from me for I'm a sinful man. That was what initiated him to leave everything and follow Jesus was the miracle. The miracle caught his attention. The miracle caused him to say, Lord, get away from me for I'm a sinful man. Jesus had just been teaching and Peter didn't say that because of the teaching. Maybe the teaching opened his eyes and the miracle sealed the deal. But he didn't say that because of the teaching or because of the conversation of Jesus. He said that when he saw the power of Jesus. And the whole time, he's all about, let's restore the kingdom. You know, let's smite down the Samaritans. You know, let's build three temples. You know, he's all about the outward, aggressive, miraculous nature. You know, they send him out and he's like, Lord, even the demons obey us. And it's all the fiery, zealous portion and they had, he had no concept of what the role of the Messiah was. He undoubtedly, like everyone else in the Jewish culture at that point in time, thought that the Messiah was going to come and was going to be this great conqueror and was going to wipe out the Roman oppression and establish the kingdom of Jerusalem and the throne of David to rule over the earth forever. They didn't realize this redemption of sin came first and that, that what they're talking about is the millennial reign and the end of time. They didn't realize that the Messiah was going to come as a suffering servant and not as a reigning king. The reigning king comes later. The suffering servant came first and they didn't realize that. And so Peter, even though he burst out and he says, you are Christ, the son of God, and realized that he was the Messiah, he really had no concept of what the Messiah was. And so he's all aggressive, sword out, ready to fight to the death, but he's not ready to see his master give his life. He even challenges Jesus when Jesus tells him that and he says no, may it never be. And Jesus says get, me, get thee behind me Satan. Because what you're asking for is the will of man, not the will of God. So Peter had no concept but when he did get the concept through the death and the resurrection of Christ and he finally realized what the whole thing was about and what the whole role of the Messiah was. Jesus repeats the same miracle that caused Peter to follow him to begin with. And then he takes him aside and he says, do you love me more than these? Meaning, is it just about the show? Is it just about the power? Is it just about the miracle? Or do you really love me? And Peter's response is, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that it's about you. And Jesus is asking the same question two more times and each response is, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And then he ends up following it with an exhortation showing Peter how he was going to die, that you're also going to be crucified. And you're going to be crucified upside down. Men are going to lead you out. Sometimes, I think we get it so mixed up just like Peter, that we're concerned about the outward showing, 
that we're concerned about the power and the demonstration, especially with charismatics and the charismatic background, that we're con so concerned about, you know, the miracles and the miraculous and all of this boom stuff that everybody can see. Do you love me more than these? And I know that I started this out talking about Satan sifting Peter like wheat and how Jesus prayed for him. Not that the temptation wouldn't come. Not that the attack wouldn't come. But that Peter's faith wouldn't fail. And that when he's returned, he would strengthen the brethren. But he's going to strengthen them in an entirely different way. He's going to feed the lambs and feed the sheep. And he's going to do it. And Jesus puts it in proper perspective. He's going to do it from the position of love. Do you love me, Peter? Is it about the works? Or is it about the love? Because if it's about the love, the works will come. But if it's about the works, then the love won't ever come. Do you love me? And if you love me, then feed my sheep. How do you feed them? You feed them out of that overflow of love. You realize that when you're returned, this is the returning moment right here on the beach. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, if you love me, then feed my sheep. Strengthen the brethren. Strengthen them with the love of God that's shed towards you, that's shed on you, so that you can reflect that love to God and you can share that love with others. How do you do that? By realizing that the same God that called you has not suddenly uncalled you because you fell. He's not suddenly forgot about you because you tripped up and you fell flat on your face. He hasn't just dropped the ball on you. It says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He hasn't suddenly said, okay, you messed up. You've messed up one too many times. It's over. You're done. No, He loves you and He continues to seek you and He continues to pursue you and He continues to ask that question, do you love me? Peter fell and he fell hard. But he also preached Pentecost. And he also became known as the Apostle to the Jews. Peter got a lot wrong. And he fell a lot. This isn't his only fall. And it's not even his last fall. He falls later when the Jew-Gentile and the issue of the law came in. Do we make the Gentiles Jews and then let them have Christ? Or can they have Christ, just Christ, without having to take the Jewish law or the Mosaic law upon them? And he fell hard in that area. And Paul had to rebuke him. But you know what? He got back up. Got back up every time. Why? Because it's okay to fall. It's not okay to fail. And that's why I'm preaching this message and that's why I'm sharing my heart. Is if you fall, fine. Fall and fall gloriously, but get back up and let your faith stand strong and use your fall to encourage and to teach and to exhort others so that they don't fall like you fell. Fall, not fail. Fall, not fail. I know that sometimes we feel like we've missed it. Sometimes we feel like we've missed it in a horrific way you know it is Mother's Day and we like to celebrate and honor the mothers who have done a glorious job not perfect but who have raised their children up in a godly manner and have given everything in them to the role of being a mother knowing what a great treasure that is and we talk about those that are unable to be mothers and we bless them and we love them and we say that they're glorious gift of God 
But what about those who've been a mother before they came to Christ? What about those who were a mother who didn't want to be a mother, who messed it up royally for the entirety of their life, and their kids are grown out of the house, and then they suddenly come into a relationship with Jesus, and they regret how they raised their kids, and it's too late to get those years back. What about those who are who have been a mother and their kids are still in the house, but they're teenagers now, and their kids were raised up to a certain point in an ungodly manner, and now they're trying to get that, those years back and to see God redeem the time, and it's too late in some areas, but it's not in others. What about the mothers who fail? What about the people who fail in general? And you think, it's just too late. I'm just too far gone. I've messed up one too many times. I've denied God one too many times. I've slipped up and I've stepped just a little bit too far. I've walked away just a little bit too far. What about those people? I would say this. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. I'm so thankful that God seeks the failures. I'm so thankful that God seeks those who mess up, those who get it wrong, and that He pursues those who are not perfect. I'm so thankful that in my screw-ups, in my slip-ups, in my stumbling, in the times where I fall flat on my face, that my God still shows me grace, that my God still extends me His hand, and He still asks the question, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the outward show? And you could put anything in as the antecedent of these. You could say, do you love me more than the materialistic prophets of this world? Do you love me more than the thing that you're asking from me? Do you love me more than the things that you think that you need? Do you love me more than you love other people? Do you love me more than you love those relationships that are broken? Do you love me more than you wish that you could go back and change things that you've done or said? Do you love me more than the regret? Do you love me more than the pain? Do you love me more than the sin? I mean, you could put anything in that. Do you love me? And it's almost, for me, and I'm reading into the text a little bit here, so don't quote me on this, but it's almost for me, it's asking, it's like Jesus is asking it, and He's like, do you love me? Because you know that I love you. It's almost like, you know when someone asks you a question and you know what their response is going to be? You know when somebody says, well, I don't like you, but I love you. You know, like you, you know what the second portion of that statement is? It's almost like Jesus extends it and He's like, do you love me? Because you know that I love you. And if you know that I love you and you love me, then let take that love that you've received of me and share it with those who fall. Don't condemn them. Don't kick them to the curb and disqualify them. God didn't do that with you. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful, mothers? Aren't you thankful that you are able to do the things that you do and be the people that you are because of the grace of God? Aren't you thankful, fathers, husbands, daughters, sons, grandmothers, grandfathers, cousins, friends. Aren't you thankful that God's grace is there for your mistakes? That God's love extends beyond the regret, beyond the pain, beyond the sin? You're going to fall, but please don't fail.
close out in prayer. In Jesus' name, I just want to thank you, Lord. Maybe not the typical Mother's Day message, but I want to thank you, God, for the opportunity to preach it all the same. And Lord, it may not have been the most eloquent message ever put forth, but God, I pray that you use it. And I pray that you use it to bless and to help those who hear it. And I pray, God, that you just move in a mighty way on this Mother's Day. That you let your word go forth in power and truth. And that as we come to the end of this COVID crisis, that people wouldn't be scared of one another and have a standoffishness or pariah mindset towards one another that we could come back together in closeness and in unity and love one another tangibly love one another Lord if someone's out there and they've fallen and they feel broken and they feel like they've fallen just a little bit too far that they've wandered just a little bit too far away they've messed up just one too many times They've said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, and regret and self-deprivation, self-condemnation is consuming them. God, I pray that you would encourage them and pull them out, that you would send people their way, godly people, who would encourage them and love them and be a reflection and a demonstration of the grace of God in their lives. Lord, I love you and I honor you and I praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.